the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chea, Larry Jones, and from Orlando Medical News, John Kelly. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Good morning and welcome to Healthcare Now, Central Florida's newest healthcare talk show. I'm John Kelly, publisher of the Orlando Medical News. Joining me this morning are two of Central Florida's most committed healthcare advocates and their co-host, Mark Chayette. MD, and Larry Jones. Dr. Mark is a pediatric surgeon. He has practiced medicine in Central Florida since 1997 and is president of Pediatric Surgery PA, a former lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, chairman and founder of the Integrated Independent Physicians Network, and co-founder of KidsDoc, a pediatric subspecialty organization in Central Florida also one of my favorites. Larry Jones is the Executive Director of the Integrated Independent Physicians Network and CEO of Independent Healthcare Partners, headquartered in Maitland, Florida. The IPA, known as IPN, is a 1,000-physician, multi-specialty physician network throughout 12 counties in Central Florida. Its core mission is to provide the tools and programs allowing physicians to compete in today's healthcare environment. Larry has worked on both the payer and provider side of healthcare and understands healthcare, its challenges, and opportunities. This show's value proposition is to educate patients and healthcare consumers, allowing them to become savvy and knowledgeable while navigating and assessing our complex healthcare system. Larry, please jump in, as no one is more passionate about this subject. Uh, good morning, John. Good morning, Dr. Mark. Morning. You know, in our previous shows, we've talked about what it means to become an educated healthcare consumer, the orientation of those consumers, and a discussion on of navigating a confusing healthcare marketplace. And we also looked at different health plans, how to read and understand your health plan benefits, and how to maximize access to care and minimize the overall cost and out-of-pocket cost. Uh, Dr. Mark, did any comments on that before we jump into our topics today? I think our listeners would agree that that each little stage of that gives you bits and pieces of a really large picture here, right? I mean, we we just touched on a few of the different types, and we're gonna we're gonna dive more deeply into that. But I mean, there's just there's just a lot to learn, isn't there, Larry? Absolutely. You know, healthcare is in the news every day in some form of discussion, and it's important to understand what I call the external and the internal issues that regulate and govern health care. And when I say external, I'm talking federal, state, and regulatory mandates, legislative. And internal, I'm talking meaning local and personal issues that affect your local health care needs. 
right? And I think the personal needs really are what the people are, you know, when, when you have a health care issue, you have an incident that you have to take care of, that's when you sort of sit down and realize what you don't know. And, and that's something that we want to try to, we want to fill that gap, you know, with our show and, and some of the discussions and guests that we have. Exactly. And, you know, U.S. healthcare spending in 2019 exceeded $3.8 trillion. And what's interesting about that is in 18, there was a 4.4% increase. And in 19, there was a 6.2% increase. Uh, and I think, obviously, some of that could have been towards based on COVID and some of the issues there. But I think at approaching 18, 19% of the GDP, healthcare spending is growing much faster than the GDP. Absolutely. And, and before the show, we were just having our little sidebar chat. And I think we, we've talked about this, how we have one of the, one of the, or the most expensive healthcare system in the world. And I, I believe we still have the best healthcare system in the world. But we've got to figure out a way to curb the expenditures and have it make sense so we can do it year after year after year. And that's that's like that's going to be a topic of probably four or five shows, I'm hoping. Absolutely. You know, we're going to really get into that comment that you made last week on the show about not only do you believe we have the most expensive health care system in the world, but we also have the best quality health care system in the world. We're going to touch on that a little bit later on in the show. Very good. Uh, so that's good. But, you know, let's talk about two issues today, the Medicare program and the Medicare trust fund. What that, What is that? What does that mean? Long-term predictions, challenges, and opportunities of Medicare. And the reason I think this is such a hot topic is that one in four, four residents are over the age of 65 in Florida and are on eligible Medicare today. Right. Yeah. It's going to affect a lot of people yep. and then take that one step further the families that we've got a lot of folks that are now li- living with their kids. And so some of the family in the household, they're not covered by anything. Right. And then their, their aging parents or, or grandparents are, are facing these facts. And, and those folks need to help educate themselves so they can keep everything in line. Absolutely. You know, our second topic today, as we move along, we're going to d- discuss some of the predictions for healthcare for 2021. We'll discuss what some of the Biden administration agenda items are, the current state of health care, as well as other industry predictions, 2021 and beyond. Okay, let's get into the Medicare discussion, both traditional and Medicare Advantage programs. What is an accountable care organization, a Medicare ACO, and what it all means and how it impacts our 4.2 million beneficiaries in Florida and over 61 million beneficiaries nationally? I think an interesting point here is that the projection, we're at 61 million now, it's projected that Medicare by 2030, which is another 10 years, will have 80 million Medicare beneficiaries in the program. That's an increase each year for the next 10 years of over 2 million people coming into the Medicare program. And and we're starting it at a program that is uh, fighting for its life in a lot of ways, but we're going to grow. Exactly. You know, uh, to just kind of a little history, Medicare was established in 1965 under President Johnson to ensure that senior citizens would have access to health care in their later years of their lives. But during between now and that, which is 55 year expanse, Medicare, the trust fund has changed dramatically where legislature has had to refund some of Medicare restructure. 
And when I talk about uh, the Medicare Advantage and not traditional, but Medicare Advantage and accountable care organizations, these are some of the things that Medicare has tried to do to, I guess you would call, cap the cost right. of Medicare going forward. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about that, I mean, what President Johnson had in mind, it kind of goes back to the ideas of part of and, and Social Security, the idea that yeah, these are things that a country like America should be providing. And to come up with a plan that was going to last decade after decade was really an impossibility. So I think there was a period of time where things weren't really paid attention to, and it was just business as usual. But in the last 15 years, we've seen a change per year easily looking at these different programs and really trying to figure out how to make them stay afloat. Now, you've got two issues, the increasing costs of health care itself and the increasing number of people that are going to be spending this money. So put those together, and we're going to need to pay close attention on on what's going to happen next. No question, Dr. Mark. And, you know, uh, we'll talk more and more about cost as we get on, but let me just give the, the audience Medicare is governed by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in Washington. It regulates and governs all Medicare programs. And then, you know, you talk about what can we do going forward. Under the Affordable Care Act, another arm of CMS called CMMI, Centers for Medicare Medicaid Innovation, was formed to develop Medicare and Medicaid programs that address just what you're talking, cost, access, and creative programs that can put our providers at risk of taking care of these patients. Right. And by at risk, you mean financial risk. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there is another organization called MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, who also has an office in the West Wing of the White House. And this is a nonpartisan legislative branch agency that provides the U.S. Congress with analytics and policy advice on the Medicare program. One of the most recent ones is they came up and, and agreed to a 2% increase in Medicare for primary care physicians right. for 2021. Right, for actually fee-for-service yeah. payments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So, you know, the word innovation, when you, call it, when you talk about Centers for Medicare Medicaid Innovation Initiatives, it's just that. It's coming up with interesting and, and dynamic programs and in innovating the, the Medicare system. And things like how to budget health care based on its demand, how to engage more access to health care, and making sure that we understand the expectations of Medicare beneficiaries moving forward. It's also about how to access private capital to stimulate the innovation while protecting against short-term profiteering in the Medicare system. Now, how does that work? The, so that, that that's some of the third parties that are coming in and yeah. making HMO well, style. Yeah. Well, you know, with the, with the uh, passing of the Affordable Care Act, there was a, a piece in there called the Patient Protection Act. And that allowed for the formation of accountable care organizations. Right. And accountable care organizations are basically providers. It could be hospitals and physicians. It could be only physicians or it could be only health systems that actually have a, um, attributed lives, and they take risk on those lives right, right. for a shared saving surplus at the end of the day. Gotcha, gotcha. That's okay. kind of, and it's a, it's a big algorithm and formula, but the uh, ACA's, uh, ACOs were started in 2013, mm-hmm. and I guess we're in our eighth year now, 
And there are about 400 accountable care organizations operating across the United States. Today. Right. And just for our listeners, so prior to that, we were looking at a system that had basically an accounting setup. They paid for services that were rendered at a certain set price, and they're really focused on setting the prices for those services, right, and delivering exactly. delivering cash for care. Yeah. So this is a this is a huge step. I mean, and something that was very much needed. And the idea that it would have to freshen the whole way the DNA works of that of yeah. that process. And you know, as we as we get come back, we're also going to talk about the accountable care organizations have also filtered over into the commercial sector sure. as well. Absolutely. Now, I think that that's definitely going to be the the future of this system. Um, I think that there's there are a lot of changes that can be made, and like I say, we're going to have a number of talks where we're just going to talk about those those different changes, but to keep the system that we currently have moving forward, this privatization, this influx of mm-hmm. money and and top-level management, it's the only thing that's going to keep it alive moving right. forward. Well, you know, some of the statistics early on is there were 10,000 new Medicare beneficiaries entering the program daily, mm-hmm. and now they're predicting over the next 10 years, as we talked earlier, $2 million a year for the next 10 years to get it up to $80 million, Tremendous. Which is about right. 25% of yeah. the... Uh, population population of the U.S. Well, Larry and Dr. Mark, we're up against a hard break. One polite reminder, this show is for our audience. Please call with your questions. Please share. Our phone number is 407-701-7424 or email healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. Again, that's healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. We'll be right back. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? Rx to Live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? RxToLive.com. Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. 609-605-6859. Mark Chayot, MD practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video, differentiating your business from competitors, brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. Sakatafilms.com, 407-860-3035. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. Larry, you had mentioned the health, the uh, Medicaid trust fund. I know we were bouncing around talking about uh, 
fee-for-service and, and value-based, but tell, tell our audience more about this uh, Medicare trust fund. Yeah, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Medicare program was funded in 1965 under the Johnson administration. And today, the Congressional Budget Office, which is the, the budget piece of the federal government, projects that the trust fund will be exhausted by 2024, a little more than three years from now, which is the nearest the fund has come to exhaustion in the 55 years of its existence. As a result, 2021 is going to be a very crucial year for the future of Medicare. The combination of urgent need to discuss the trust fund's solvency and the first year of a new presidential administration is going to create some political opportunity that's going to be the talk of health care. It's going to be more than, than the talk of health care, isn't it? I mean, it's really, yes. it's really the, uh, the talk of all news, and it's, it's only going to get more heated. I think in the next couple of, uh, couple of months, we're going to see a lot of action from, from D.C. Yeah. You know, in, uh, in 1975, when the Department of Health and Human Services released an assessment of the trust fund, CMS, uh, Office of the Actuary, predicted that the fund would run out within 24 years in 1999 from 1965. Over the years, Congress has taken action to restructure Medicare and buy more time for the trust fund. Right. And the question, the argument's always been is, was it more restructuring or just funneling money into, you know, the uh, the sinking ship? Yeah. We, but, but still, I mean, to get it, everybody's screaming, oh my gosh, you know, we've only got a couple of years left. We, we've been here before. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the Medicare trust fund and Medicare is funded totally by tax, Medicare tax mm-hmm. dollars. It's not funded by general budget funds at all. And that's prohibited under the uh, Social Security Act that it was funded by. Right. So... I think where we go from here is, uh, well, that was in the 70s. In the 80s, the life expectancy uh, continued to decline from 70 to 82, and the fund was only five years from exhaustion. And then they came in with what they call the Tax, Equity, and Fiscal Responsibility Act of 1982, which was signed in September of 82, to implement a prospective payment system. And, Dr. Mark, you as a physician can understand this. Because prior to uh, 1982, Medicare paid tremendous dollars for services, and all of a sudden you've got a fee schedule. Right, and I know this is uh, radio and not television, but right. so in 1982, I was uh, certainly not a physician right. and uh, was uh, thinking about going that route, and you started to hear stories from parents and grandparents that were docs of what was, what was about to happen. It was, uh, it was really a wake-up call over that next 10 years. Right. And, you know, and then in the 90s, it led to the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, where Medicare could not spend more than it was taken in. Right. So now we're into 2000 when the dot-com era uh, created some some bubbles. uh, And then the Great Recession hit in 2009. And then all of a sudden, here we are today uh, with the COVID pandemic of 2020 that has altered the stability of the trust fund. Right, and it was already predicted to be in trouble, you know, within within a couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, the question I've asked, been asked many times, so what happens if the trust fund is exhausted? Well, if the trust fund's exhausted, there is no law dictates what will happen. But the Social Security Act, which governs Medicare, does not authorize the government to use general revenues to fund the deficit. So the question becomes, and, and this 
certainly going to push us into uh, some other show with some legal experts right. on what does that hard stop really mean. Right. Um, it's sort of like you know the when, when the budget's not balanced and the uh, the government shuts down. Well, we can't do that with health care. Exactly. And, you know, so Medicare will only be able to make payments based on the money it, it collects from taxes. So how would Medicare, first of all, I do believe the federal government would make legislative changes sure. to fund it. But let's just two scenarios that uh, if, in fact, the Medicare trust fund were depleted right now, based on the law, CMS would pay claims as the money comes into the account. As tax revenues come in slower than providers request payments, the time between getting paid, which today most physicians get paid in 14, 18 days right. of submitting a claim to Medicare. It's an excellent program. Yeah. And before, like, the listeners are thinking, you know, how can this possibly you know, happen coming up? You know, it happens every year in the Medicaid system. And I know we'll, we'll talk a lot about Medicaid yeah. later, yeah. but in many states, fortunately, and Florida's not one of those states, but in many states, the Medicaid budget runs out be, before in mid-year. By October. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's exactly what happens is they just don't pay. Right. And I've right. talked to my uh, friends in Nevada, and it is. It's like it's been it's been even earlier than October in, in previous years. It's just that's the way they operate. So what's the time between billing and payment if it continually increases going to affect physicians, Dr. Mark? Well, the next question is, when does it just say you're just not getting paid? Yeah. Well, the other the other scenario based on the 2024 exhaustion, Medicare based on predictions, Medicare would only have 83 cents on every dollar billed to pay out. So the issue there is, are they going to cut your reimbursement another 17 percent based on all the prospective payments that you've already gotten today? Remind me, mm-hmm. we talked about the two percent increase that was just recently right. enacted for primary care. For primary care, right? Right. When was the last increase? Uh, wasn't it like 1985? For Medicare? Yeah, for Medicare. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, I think it was, I I think it was in the 80s. Yeah. 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 Well, the the thing about it is primary care continues to be protected under the Medicare program because that we, they want people to go to their primary care. Right. It's the specialist like you, if you were a general surgeon and not just a pediatric surgeon, that would have been hit the most. I got because you. specialists in procedures have been cut dramatically in the Medicare program gotcha, gotcha. over the last 10 years. Gotcha. Very good. Okay. But, you know, 83 cents on the dollar, I don't think too many healthcare professionals today are, are looking for another 17% decrease in their pay. No. And then when, when you look at the, the fee-for-service setup, most of the commercial insurances base their contracts on a percentage of the number that Medicare comes up with. That right. CMS comes up with. Right. So there's a trickle down effect. You can some of the listeners might think, well, you know, you could just take take patients that just have uh, commercial insurance. You're going to lose there as well. And most of us don't want to limit the patients that we get to care for. And it's interesting that you say that, Doctor Mark, because while you have a Medicare fee schedule, most most commercial carriers follow that fee schedule as a percent of the Medicare fee schedule. Right. Right. Yep. And you're so you're absolutely right. If one goes down, it's going to impact commercial absolutely as as well. You know, Medicare is a very popular for beneficiaries today, which has led Congress to pass legislation to further its existence every ten to fifteen years. So, hopefully, the uh, the Congress will be imperative to act 
and keep this as a solvent situation. But, you know, in conclusion of the, the trust fund, the trust fund's potential exhaustion represents a significant threat to the Medicare system. Right. Over the past 40 years, whenever threats come, Congress acted to address it. If that commitment continues, the current threat will serve as an imperative to act and provide an opportunity to improve and preserve the Medicare system for generations to come. Well, I think that's going to take front and center and even push the discussions on the ACA to the side. But it's not going to happen until it actually is a crisis. Right. You know, in uh, in the Medicare from a funding standpoint today, Medicare, your your part B is about one hundred and forty dollars, one hundred and forty one dollars taken out of your Social Security. But that only covers 80 percent of your cost. If people want to stay in a traditional Medicare program, they have to buy a supplement and, and that covers the other 20 percent. And those supplements today are running well over $200 a month. So you're paying more for the supplement than you are the base care. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and they continue to rise. There's no cap on what those they, – normally they're private insurance companies. I was it's just going to say that. Yeah, it's that, not funded right. by the federal government. Right. They're private companies like Blue Cross, Cigna, right. all of them, Aetna, yep. all of them, uh, United. But that's the one AARP. of the changes – that occurred when they said we could exactly. bring in some privatization. Exactly. And when you talk to clients that have that product, that have gone in, they had the base product, and they got a supplement, they're usually tremendously satisfied with that plan. Without a doubt. Yeah, more so yeah. than when I talk to colleagues and friends and family that have commercial products. Mm-hmm. They I, Rarely do I hear anybody raving about their health care coverage. Right, right. But, but the – and I don't know if it's just going from bad to better – I don't, well, I don't know what if, that you've, conversation... if you've got Medicare with Plan F as a supplement, mm-hmm. you basically have no more out-of-pocket costs. It covers 100%, 80 and 20, 100% of your total health care cost, and you have the ability to go and see any provider that accepts Medicare. And that's going to cost you the 140 plus, you know, about plus what about that... 220 a month. About 220 Yeah. So you so. figure a, a, a couple, you take 220 140 that's 360 times 2 is 720 bucks a month. Right. That's still That's a, a, a it's fixed cheap income. compared to the commercial market. Right, right, right. But yeah. but we're yeah. looking at a different different right. fixed income situation. But then during the Obama administration, they threw in a little caveat. Based on income, that $140 that you have deducted in your social security, even if you're on social security, if you have a high income, that 140 can either double or triple. Now, that sounds like the ACA. Yeah. Well, it's it's basically one way that the Obama administration felt to continue the trust fund right. to be sol- sol- you know, solvent during all that time. Yeah, just the Robin Hood. Yeah. So yeah. if you've got an income, a significant income, mm-hmm. and you're on Medicare, you could be paying as much as $386 a month out of your Social Security right. plus another 220 so for I, your supplement. That that probably pushed some people back into the commercial world. Into the Medicare Advantage yeah. world. A Medicare Advantage yeah, world, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Very good. Very good. Well, let's see. Have we really uh, polished up Medicare Advantage? I know we've only got about a minute to chat here uh, on this segment. Yeah. You know, the, the only other regulatory entity that I want to mention is the Commonwealth Fund Task Force on Payment and Delivery Reform. Uh, there is That's a, a Washington bureaucratic organization. And they just released recommendations recently to advance a higher quality, more affordable, and more equitable health system. And number two of their six policy recommendation instructed CMS, 
Centers for Medicare Medicaid, to build on lessons from past innovations and require all Medicare providers to participate in a value-based care arrangement. We'll talk more about that. We'll next talk one, more we? about that. Yep. Yep. Larry, we can't stop Father Time. Another polite reminder, this show is for our audience. Please call us with your questions, 407-701-7424, or email healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. And a final thought, the consumer paying more for a Medicare supplement than base Medicare? What's wrong with this picture? We'll be back. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Are improved patient outcomes valuable? Improved chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, all without increasing practice workload or expenses. rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Interested? rx or call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. That's 609-605-6859. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website, at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774. Or visit OrlandoPediatricSurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. SakataFilms.com, 407-860-3035. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. We finished up the last segment talking about Medicare and the fact that the base Medicare um, required significantly more expensive supplements. Um, Then we're going to roll from that with uh, health care predictions for 2021. But, Dr. Mark, my head is still spinning. Why do I have to pay more for a Medicare supplement than my base Medicare? See, I now, don't get it. Right, and I think this is probably, you know, we're, we're not a political show, but this is where voters get really excited because, you know, here you are going through the process. You know, first you, know, you get, out of, get out of school, you don't know anything about health care. Uh, maybe you're fortunate enough to get a corporate job or some type of job where you get some coverage or at some point you're getting coverage yourself and you start this education process. And about the only light at the end of the tunnel is, well, geez, you know, if I can smack around at this for another 50 years, I'll be 65 and I'm going to qualify for health care. And I would tell you if, if they 
if they polled most 30-year-olds, I I would be shocked if not the, the vast majority felt like they were going to get free health care once they turned 65. But as Larry, Larry, we're talking about yeah. the base price for yeah. Medicare is right. about $140 a month mm-hmm. taken out of your Social Security check. And that's this is a whole other discussion about what Social Security is going to do. Yeah. And that covers 80% of your health care needs. Of your Medicare allowable costs. Yeah. Right. right. So, so right. you've got another 20% that's out of pocket. We don't have a deductible, so it's, we've talked about deductibles early on, but we do have essentially a copay of 20%. Correct. And there are these supplement plans, and they're all private insurance companies. They're, they're there to make a profit. I was going to say, what? No, yeah. why are they there? Yeah, yeah. they're there to make a profit, but, but also there are many different types of plans than just Plan F, which covers the entire 20%. In fact, they've actually scaled down. People that are on Plan F today have been grandfathered in, but people today can't buy the same Plan F that someone bought five years ago. Really? There's a copay. Uh, involved in it now so it may still cover a hundred percent but there's also a copay for exactly your- and you know let's let's go over to the medicare advantage yes you know you, you the the tv is bombarded particularly now you know we just went through open enrollment from october 15th to december 7th and then that's for effective january 1 but then from january 1 to march 31st it's it's another open enrollment. That's called the annual enrollment period from November to December or October December, and then January to March is called the open enrollment period. And for, that's for, for Medicare for Medicare, mm-hmm. and that's for anybody that got into a plan that they found out they didn't like, mm-hmm. and they have until three thirty one to change. Gotcha. So the the Medicare program is a little in flux until then. Okay. Now, you say a program they didn't like. Are we just talking about the straight Medicare programs, or are we talking about the supplements as well? If they got into a Medicare Advantage plan okay. and they didn't like that plan, they could switch to another Medicare Advantage plan. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's go March back to, 31st. All right. Very good. Yeah. But then let's let's talk about what is it, what does a Medicare Advantage plan cost? You know, you see this all the time. No premium. No deductibles right. on... Commercial. On, commercial. Uh, yeah. No deductibles on uh, drugs and things like that. The, the reality of it is, if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan and you get admitted to the hospital, you're going to pay $150 a day up to seven days as a copay. Wow. In the Medicare Advantage plan. In the Advantage plan. In the Medicare Advantage plan. And then when you're buying drugs in a, in a Medicare Advantage plan, you, you have drugs included. You right. have optical, you have vision, you have drugs. And that's what they talk about on TV when they say, do you have all the benefits you deserve? Have you seen those Yo, absolutely, ads on absolutely. TV? And what they're not saying is we're a Medicare Advantage plan with a limited network or a specific network that if you stay in, you can maximize your health care dollars. Right. But, and depending on that, you might actually get your prescriptions for free. Correct. Okay. Based on the different tiers. There's right. normal just like yeah, commercial, just like commercial. Y- your your generics probably free mm-hmm. and the, your next tier may be $5 but then it jumps up to 30 right. $45. So if you've got any special needs you're going to get hit. And then there's a maximum out of pocket for the the pharmacy piece and once you hit that maximum I think it's 6750 this year uh, then Medicare pays 100% of your drug cost. Okay. Right. And more and more beneficiaries today are actually reaching that maximum out of pocket cost due to specialty pharmacy. Yeah, nearly seven thousand dollars. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. right. I've got to jump in and ask a hard question. I'll direct it to Doctor Mark. If the consumer is paying so much more, 
Uh, and there's all this changing, possible changes in insurance. What type of impact does this have on your office, doctor? It's just got to skyrocket your uh, your cost of doing business. Well, you know, it's interesting when you start to relate what is paid and where the money goes, and that's that's going to be a, a show all in in of itself. But those changes don't really change the cost of our operations, but they can easily change what we're paid, right? So it's sort of a, a different issue because what you're seeing on those ads is really a commercial advertisement for a product. You're going to pay, and, and on the back end, the way they make money is by negotiating the services at a lower price. So what even though you're putting more money in, doesn't necessarily mean more money is going out. And that's true in commercial insurance as well, and really kind of the basis of how what I feel about our healthcare system that we need to really look at is, is where does that money go? So in this case, this Medicare Advantage really represents a model that looks most like a commercial insurance plan than anything else. It just has that government word Medicare in front of it, but uh, it's, it's not Medicare coverage as it was traditionally meant to be. Good point, Dr. Mark. And, you know, even in the commercial arena, in many times, payers don't even pay you the Medicare allowable. Right. For commercial care. No, if they can find, care. Right, if they can find a specialist in primary care yeah. that's starting yeah. out and struggling, saying, yeah. hey, listen, we'll give you yeah. 80% of the CMS suggested amount. That's exactly so, right. Somebody's going to raise their hand. That's right. And interestingly, physicians aren't allowed to discuss with other physicians what rates they're getting. Yep. They can't collude. They can't all get together and say, listen, nobody take less than 110%. Right. Can't do it. So, uh, I mean, there, there are laws that prohibit us from doing that, right. and it's made it a fixed market, not a free market. Right. You know, in IPN, I get calls, and my team gets calls every day from physicians wanting to know if we can help them re- renegotiate their contract oh, sure. with, the, with the insurance payers. Sure. I've actually helped you a yep, few times. Absolutely, and I've sent, I've sent other colleagues that have called yep, in and, exactly. and looked for things. So that's really, you know, to, I think I answer your question, John. I mean, yeah. that really looks at where the money flows. And we talked about in, I think, our mm-hmm. opening uh, show what percentage of dollars goes where. To physicians. And so yep. physicians. Yep. Seven, and hospitals. Yeah, 17. 8%. Eight, yep. yep. So 8%, 8% of those yep. of the dollars that goes into uh, health care goes to the actual physicians. So it's really a small group. So a change in that amount doesn't impact the overall expense, yet yep. it does impact the physician's practice because yep. we're – N- nobody's yeah. getting the uh, the pre-1985 feed that yeah. they, they were getting. Well, it's interesting you say that because in 2019, which is the last number we have, we don't have 2020 numbers yet, the, of the $3.8 trillion in health care, $1.2 trillion of that went to the hospital. There you go. That's just one of the places, but, but we'll, right. we'll, we'll, find, we'll find all the targets later. And up to 20% <laughs> of that went to pharmacy. I was going to say pharmacy and and pharma in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, no question that physicians, and we stated it in the last meeting, and we'll we'll have other physicians on our on our panel as we talk. But uh, there's no question that physicians are working harder for less today. Right, and that that affects the relationships that they have with their patients as well. I think one of the big complaints that uh, you hear is people are waiting too long to see their physician or their their caregiver. And the caregiver's not spending enough time with them. And, and I, I would have to say that those two complaints are very true. And it is, there's really not a problem in healthcare that can't be paid by 
the appropriate distribution of the dollars. But if a physician's practice, it's like it's any it's like any other business. It has overhead, and it has employees, it has all the costs of any business, and if those costs keep going up and reimbursement goes down, they're going to have to see more clients in order to just keep the doors open. And I'm not I'm not saying that all doctors are you know struggling and they they have a right to not spend time with their patients, but I can tell you that they would like to have more time to spend with their patients. And that's really the only way is to buy that time. The administrative burden has become a big issue among physicians, particularly the independent practice today. Yes. And, you know, going back to reigning in health care costs in 2018, you know, we talked about that 24000 plus family premium right. per year. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2018, the the actually 2019, the National uh, Health Care Expenditure Report came out saying that health care cost in America was $11,582 per person. And in, that's in 19, an increase of over $400 per person hmm. in, in, in 18. Right. So look at a family of five. And, yeah. That's huge. Yep. And that's where that GDP is approaching 20%. Yep. Yep. Now, that's, that has to be, it has to be addressed. And, I mean, I think we've got... There are certainly uh, as many problems in healthcare as there are uh, solutions, but those are those are topics yeah. that I yeah. think that we're gonna yeah. we're gonna have to dive deeply into. Yeah. Well, you know, I've talked to many legislators about this, and there's no question that it is a complete bipartisan issue that healthcare costs have to be reined in in this country. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're sitting on; everybody understands that if we're not going to destroy our economy. Which our health care today, if our health care, that three point eight trillion were a country, it would be the seventh largest economy right. in the world. Right, right, right. <laughs> Thank goodness it's not, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it is a it's a bipartisan problem, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been a bipartisan solution. No, not at all. Everybody has a different idea on how to yeah. fix it. Yep. Yeah. Going back uh to Dr. Mark again, um I truly believe from my work with physicians over the last 15 years, that physicians want to spend more time with their patients. Uh, Over the last five to 10 years, we've really seen an increase in physician extenders, uh, nurse practitioners, and PAs. Um, Is this helping your practice? It does help a lot of practices, and it's been uh, received very well by patients in general. I mean, my personal family experience was uh, when my father... Uh, was seeing a cardiologist, uh, and I knew one day he was going to go see a physician assistant. You know, I knew the cardiologist well. I didn't know how that was going to go, but because this this provider was such a, a great person and did such a great job, you know, my father, like like many folks, were very much attached to them. It didn't matter to them that they didn't think like, oh, I don't get to see the doctor, right? So I think it's very much tied to how the practices run and, and the individuals and how they care about their patients. Super. That's, that's good news. And we're, uh, we're coming up on another hard break. Um, I'm just going to ask our audience again, this show is for you. Please call us with your questions. We've got two advocates here for you. Phone number 407-701-7424 or Now at orlandomedicalnews.com. Again, healthcare now at orlandomedicalnews.com. 
Thank you. We'll be right back. Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us. IPNetworkFlorida.com. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? rx to livecom Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. 609-605-6859. Lando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. Are you concerned about healthcare skyrocketing expenses? Monthly premiums approaching $2,000? Out-of-pocket expenses up 50% the past 10 years? Introducing Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. Join the discussion. 7 to 8 a.m. Saturday mornings on AM 950 and FM 94.9. Co-hosted by IPN's Mark Chayot and Larry Jones and Orlando Medical News, John Kelly. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit OrlandoPediatricSurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. SakataFilms.com, 407-860-3035. to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. Let's pick up where we uh, where we left off. Let's look at uh, where healthcare is going to go in 2021. And I, a burning issue with me is the the use of technology, especially digital technology in healthcare. Dr. Mark, what are you seeing? Well, this is like the fun part where we put on remember the Johnny Carson predicting the future piece. So, so na- naturally, everything we say has to go uh, come with a bit of a grain of salt. But technology has always been a driving force in medicine, and early on, it was actually a driving force that not only saved lives, it often saved money. In the last few decades, however, I think it's gone very much in a different direction. It continues to save lives, but the the Capitalism drives competition and drives, you know, the next best thing so often that we're spending a lot of money on technology. Now, digital technology is something that is, uh, it's got, it's a double-edged sword as well. But with the uh, pandemic, you know, we definitely have seen a big uptick in telemedicine. In fact, one of the things that was holding telemedicine back was many states, including our own, did not want to reimburse for telemedicine visits. Uh, many states were more advanced than that. Uh, or reimbursed a smaller amount. Or reimbursed a smaller yeah, amount, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was in in, um, in mental health, um, it, it got a lot of uh, activist programs that worked out really nicely. Uh, and so it started to, to spread. But with the pandemic, 
then action really happened. Like, like again, using our state as an example, uh, it was mandated that these visits had to be covered. And so I would say, if I look at my colleagues, a, a full 80 percent are ha- have some exposure to telemedicine, where before it was a, a small fraction. Probably less than 10 percent. Yeah, yeah, less than yeah, 10. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you can see in, in some visits that, it, okay, I'm a surgeon, so at some point, there's probably going to be a time where I need to physically be in the room other than just in the operating room, right? But there are also many points, post-operative cares, wound concerns, things that if I can see and hear, you know, through a telemedicine visit, it's, it's very valuable. And I, I see that that picking up quite significantly. Yeah. You know, uh, talking about telehealth, uh, as a result of telehealth, home health care services have continued to expand. And, you know, with telehealth, physicians can monitor chronic illnesses they can avoid unnecessary ER visits, prescription refills. They can even do an annual wellness visit if it's not your first annual wellness visit, telehealth. And then uh, in the value-based world, closing care gaps and assisting providers in value-based programs and quality metric scores can all be handled in a telemedicine visit. And again, the payers continue to reimburse at the same rate right. of an office visit today. Right. Let's talk. Let's sort of explain that a little bit because we haven't talked about value-based medicine in detail but so value-based medicine it it works in two two different arms one is that that we're really having the medical delivery system spend less money spend the money more smartly and save dollars but in addition to that there's a qa there's a quality aspect of it that has to be met right that's right so each plan is going to have a significant number of checks that you have to, you know, check the box to make sure that this patient who's a diabetic has their A1C checked a certain number right. of times. Right. Uh, this person who's this age needs a mammogram, et cetera, right. et cetera. So if you don't check those boxes, your quality score as a provider goes down. Correct. And so your reimbursement as a group, a value-based group, goes down. So that's yeah. so well, that's you know, what the, you were saying. Yeah, the, telemedicine yeah, helps Yeah, the that. premise of value-based care is patient outcomes. Absolutely. It's not, outcomes. it's not actually money. It's not about payment it's about outcomes yep. in fact the old term pay for performance mm-hmm. comes into play when you're talking about that uh, and I'll tell you another thing in regards to value-based care is patient satisfaction surveys right these are becoming based on uh, the all the metrics that are happening in the in the value-based care world beginning now in the next two years 40 percent of a physician's score is going to be based on what the patients say about them. Right, right. So it started out with H caps and the hospitals, the hospital-based scores, and now it's it's the consumer, the, the, just the caps, yep. the consumer-based score. Looking at it outside the hospital, you know, it's uh, the 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 program is actually called CAPS, C A H P S, Consumer Assistant of Healthcare Providers and Systems, and it refers to a set of surveys that are asked of patients on their healthcare experience. The survey wants anyone that sees a physician or a provider to to take that CAP survey right. because it's going to become more and more uh, an in, an issue going forward. It is, and it's it's actually not a tremendously long survey, um, but again, relating it to the hospital version, the HCAPS version, it's very thought out and touches different areas that the patient should the consumer should comment on, uh, and then as they move forward. CMS has looked at these things and they've kind of said, well, you know, this relates to that and it's almost the same thing and, and narrowed down the number of of questions. So that 
information is going to continue to evolve into something more and more right. valuable. Right. And, you know, while we're talking about inter- uh, uh, issues regarding technology, digital and those things, let's talk about two other issues, interoperability mm-hmm. and uh, artificial intelligence. Gotcha. Uh, let me jump in okay, and ask sure. one question mm-hmm. um, to what specifically what you and uh, Dr. Mark were speaking about. Mm-hmm. So we've we've talked about the uh, evolution from fee-for-service to value-based care. Right. We we just spoke about, uh, or you just spoke about uh, the surveys and the weight that the patient survey carries. The million-dollar question to me is, have we seen better outcomes based on value-based care? You know, it's a great question, John. You know, value-based care is based on two things, cost and quality. And as I mentioned earlier, the quality piece is really patient outcomes. And compliance with chronic illnesses, as Dr. Mark issued, mentioned earlier about an A1C, if you're a diabetic. Uh, value-based care is a huge movement in this country. Uh, Congress, in every area of Congress, understands value-based care could very well be the answer to reining in costs as well as improving the quality and even access to health care that Americans need. Absolutely. And, and I think it sort of begs the question a little bit because the, the whole plan was, is based on what we do know will improve outcomes. And as these value-based programs become more and more prevalent throughout the country, we'll see those results. But, but it, it, does, it does appear that we're, we're going to see better care and we're going to see a better expenditure of the healthcare dollar. Yeah, you know, when we're talking about technology uh, and you enter value-based care, uh, interoperability is a big deal. And what that means is, in Dr. Mark's practice, he would get labs, he would get imaging, he would get anything that's done to his patients if he were a primary care, which he's not, but he's a specialist, and know exactly what's going on with that patient at all times, even prescriptions that other specialists uh, refer and and prescribe for for his patients. So interoperability is a big deal. Uh, Access to patient records has been on the forefront of legislation here recently. But then there's another piece of value-based care that I think is, is, and we could have a whole show on this, and that's artificial intelligence. Yeah, AI is... Actually, we probably should have a whole show on, yeah, on a- AI and blockchain and how that can affect yep. you know decision making. Um, AI has been uh, very popular in the uh, radiology branch, um, where you know computers can uh, identify certain yep. anomalies and say for mammograms yep. and and not not read the mammogram without the radiologist, but follow up and level it to where they say this is a, a suspicious level and and have somebody basically give a, a little extra look. Yep. So. AI is going to be become very important. Um, interoperability. And, and you know, Dr. Mark, I wanted to kind of jump in here. I tried to come up with a layman's description and definition of artificial intelligence. Okay. Because I'm sure our listening audience don't yeah. understand that. And the best I could come up with, it's computerized software process that reviews multiple diagnostic codes and procedures, evaluating the data, and making appropriate recommendation for care. Right. Is that a pretty good definition it, of that? It is. And because and it's really it's it's mathematics, right? I mean, it's 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 algorithms. It's coding because yeah. it, it's not using the thought processes that our brain uses. It's coding a finding and a result and figuring out what correlates 
from one to get to the other. You know, uh, HHS, Health and Human Services, just made a statement recently saying that they recognize that artificial intelligence will be a critical enabler of its mission in the future to advance value-based care. I, yeah, I don't think anybody can, can argue yeah. with that. I think, yeah. they're, I think that we underutilize uh, a great amount of technologies, and yeah. I will say that EMR, electronic medical records, so the idea yep. behind EMR was to capture that interoperability. Exactly. The idea was that, you know, the, the, the protocol was you'd have a card or a chip and you could go anywhere in the country to any doctor or any hospital and they could use that to access all the information they needed, actually all the information, period. But the reality is since it was thrown out to the public of, okay, well, let's figure this out, there are so many products out there and so few communicate with each other. So the single most difficult thing in my medical career has been conforming to EMR. Exactly. I mean, and, and, and basically it's expensive because, and it's timely. Well, except it was sold as being it's going to save you time and save yeah. you money. And if they, they, I don't know who the they is, but if the they had just come in and said, it's not going to save you time, it's going to cost you money, That's we'd right. probably have a better <laughs> attitude. But we absolutely <laughs> right. need... Yeah more interoperability and whether that means a consolidation of of code sharing some some way where that information is shared but then you start worrying about security of that information so it's 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 a difficult difficult problem i I respect that it's a hard problem but it's a it's a it's that's a tough tough three-letter word there emr yeah electronic medical records i doubt if our listeners understand that very well but you know uh it is a big issue, and I think we could do a show on electronic medical records for our providers out there. And you're right. It's all about interoperability, yeah. which legislation. But, you know, before we end, when we talked about healthcare predictions for 2021, mm-hmm. I want to kind of change gears for just a second. And I believe that the main focus for 2021 will be stopping the spread of COVID-19 and the pandemic and vaccination of every American who wants it. Yeah, and yeah. And I do believe that. Uh, we've heard a lot of the things that Biden, the Biden administration hopes to accomplish in 2021. But in my opinion, it's all going to be about stopping the pandemic and getting everybody vaccinated. It's pretty hard to concentrate on anything else right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Dr. Mark and Larry, Father Time is chasing us down. I'll close by saying today's healthcare consumer has many options. But navigating the current healthcare system can be a minefield. And again, getting back to our value proposition for this show, it's our goal to help lead you through. Special thanks to Dr. Mark and Larry Jones, but I also need to uh, recognize our advertising partners and sponsor who make this conversation, and the key here is conversation possible. Diana Sacato with Sacato Films, John Fogarty with Rx to Live. Francis Grindstad with Curis Decontamination Systems, Dr. Mark with Pediatric Surgery PA, and Larry Jones with the Integrated Independent Physicians Network. Larry, closing out the show, can you share the importance of health? You know, the greatest gift you can give your family and the world is a healthy you. Thanks for listening today. Wow, we've had a great conversation. We'll be back next week with more discussion from Healthcare Now. Have a great day. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com.